Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this live edition of the show. Great to be together in person and here to interact with you guys and taking your questions on the podcast today. So please, uh, the listeners are on Instagram Live sending in questions, and we're going to get to as many many of these as we can. Yeah, a little reminder, if you're listening to this after the fact on the podcast, uh, we are recording live off the Draft Network's live Instagram account, the Draft Network on Instagram. We kindly encourage you to swing on over and join us next time. Yes, please. Uh, if you're not one of the lucky ones listening into today's show, Joe, a lot of preseason football yes. taking place. Uh, we have made it. The dry spell is over. Uh, QB1 showed out on Thursday night. Baker Mayfield rocked. Um, I just I wanted to start there because you know – as a huge Baker QB one advocate, there's no other place for me to go. Oh, makes sense. He, he played great. Um, a lot of great moments of accuracy, really uh, nice job of extending some plays, which we remember from his days at Oklahoma. What's interesting though, is I heard some criticism of, about Baker, particularly about his footwork in the pocket and how he's a little bit um, uneasy, but that's Baker, right? That's yeah. the same Baker that we saw dominate the entire college football landscape last year. And he's always balanced, right? So he, he's under control in the pocket. It's just that's just how his feet are. And, and so didn't impact his accuracy. And Baker was very much a lot like the Baker we saw dominate at Oklahoma. Yeah. Daniel Jeremiah put up a couple clips on Instagram of Mayfield working from the pocket. And uh, it looked it, it was just as if you changed the color hue on his jersey from red to to white or uh, it was the exact same kind of collection in the pocket. He's Olaying pass rushers already at the NFL, which I think is awesome that he has that kind of composure under pressure that he's going to allow pass rusher to close in and get close to him before he sidesteps and kind of slides out of the way. And he did that with great effectiveness several times. I thought his best throw of the night was probably uh, the third down conversion in which he's on the move, rolling to his right and throws moving away from the line of scrimmage and still managed to throw a really accurate ball to Callaway up on the sideline. And it's good to see David and Joko involved, man. Uh, we, we talked about on the, yeah. uh, the super show with, with uh, John and Trevor on Friday about uh, how Baker going back to his days at Oklahoma, he loved to hit, He's yeah. a tight end, Mark Andrews. And so now you see that clicking with David Njoku, who has immense more potential yeah. than uh, than Andrews. So I expect that to be a, a duo for years to come. That's very prolific. Yeah, Njoku is just an unbelievable athlete. And the 50-50 ball that he caught from Baker for a touchdown was excellent. Um, heck, even the, the seam route from Tyrod Taylor kind of showed his athleticism mm-hmm. running away from, from uh, nickel defenders and, and the ability to accelerate. And he's just so big. It's going to be a fun year for him if he's able to keep his hands clean and, and not drop a couple free footballs. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be the challenge. Um, I got to watch Josh Allen. 
crickets over here from Kyle. I'll say this, right? Everybody wants to dog on Josh Allen for that fourth and three red zone rep where the Bills call the naked boot to the left. And as soon as he turned around, there's a guy in his face and Josh Allen tries to extend the play. And then it winds up being a kind of a, a very unbalanced throwaway. And he looks really clumsy, but I mean, it's a fourth and three, Kyle, in that yeah. situation. What are you supposed to do? He like, can't eat the ball. He can't eat the – all right, you lose the field position, yeah. right? So, I mean, he looks like an idiot and seems like that's – you know, the dude probably had 30 reps with the offense and that's the only one anyone wants to talk about. But I think bar, by and large, he didn't necessarily do anything to help him win the Bills' job right now. But if anybody was watching Josh Allen uh, on Thursday night and thought he did something uh, to hurt his case or that, you know, he, it's a laughing performance. He actually had some very positive moments, hit some stuff with touch, hit some stuff with anticipation. He hit the tight window throw on the touchdown to Ray Ray McDonald. And while that was a, a gamble, those are the windows that Josh Allen has the arm to fit the ball. So I'm not sure there's a whole lot to take away other than he didn't look terrible. Right. And uh, I thought he had a couple impressive refs stepping up in the pocket, yes. letting, letting a couple throws fly over the middle of the field. Uh, we have a question from Bayless3 on Instagram wants to know, Joe, I'll let you handle this first. Miles mm-hmm. Garrett or Ed Oliver for the next 10 years? This is almost like a spin on our scout versus scout segment the other day. So I got to go with Ed Oliver, right? Because I, guess I theoretically, love interior yeah. pressure. I mean, look, I mean, you can't go wrong with either. And it's a lot like the debate we have right now with Nick uh, with Nick Bosa and Ed Oliver for, uh, you know, your number one prospect. In my six-pack Thursday uh, for the Draft Network, I, I actually declared that I am Team Oliver right now. So I'm going to stick with Ed Oliver. I think that he is a very, very special. This is weird because I can see your reactions. You usually don't see. No, I don't see them. So this is weird. I'm, uh, the uh, I, I think he's just special. I think he's rare. His flexibility, his get off, his hand technique, his leverage, his power, everything is rare. And you, you know, look, that's true for Miles Garrett. But I'm going back to me thinking that a player of elite level at an interior defensive line position as opposed to edge. Give me the interior guy. Yeah, here's a good question. Jacob Infante, a good guy on Twitter. Check him out. Joe Jackson or Montez Sweat? For yeah. me, I'm taking Montez because I think from a functional strength perspective, uh, he's much further along. Joe Jackson uh, has nice get off off the line of scrimmage and, and his pass rush success typically stems from speed. But Sweat is just so much more physically stout and his ability to hold up and doing so in the SEC too, where there's a lot of ground mm-hmm. and pound. And I think he showcased himself there much more. So I'm much more comfortable with sweat being a two-way player. Uh, Jackson's got high upside, but he hasn't really put it all together yet. And unless he's able to beat you with that initial get off off yep. the line of scrimmage, I haven't really seen a lot of secondary skills from him mm-hmm. yet. He doesn't, he's not very flexible. So when he has to turn tight angles, there's not a lot of speed that he can bring to the table in terms of his cornering. I like that question on the Bengals. I want to, I want to get go ahead. Let's dig into it. Uh, so it's, is it Bo Cephas 58? What do you think about the Bengals offense? If Ross and Eifert stay healthy, they look great last night without Eifert. I assume they'd only get better with him. Uh, I actually, what was it on Thursday? I declared, the Bengals as a potential surprise playoff team because I really like the makeup of this roster, particularly the offense. I know that Andy Dalton's an average middling quarterback, but you look at the running back situation, Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard, Mark Walton. You've got Tyler Eifert back at tight end. You have a receiving core with A.J. Green, one of the best in the league. Tyler Boyd's emerging. You have John Ross. Maybe he's at least got some speed to challenge the defense. Josh Malone, Auden Tate with a touchdown catch last night. And then the improvements on the offensive line and Cordy Glenn, Billy Price, those are big additions. Yeah. And you think about if maybe, Lord God, if Fisher or Bowie can actually turn out to be okay. Yeah. Like, 
I think there's a lot of potential on this offense. And so um, I'm actually a Bengals truther this year. Truther. How, yeah. many, how many wins? I know we had this bet about Broncos and Bengals. How many wins do the Bengals get? Do you think this year? Um, eight or nine, eight or nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think what Cincinnati was severely missing when they made some of those personnel decisions was explosive plays. Mm-hmm. So obviously if John Ross is healthy, that will go a long way in generating some explosive plays, even if he's not the one creating them because he's going to space the field more effectively when you utilize him in vertical situations. Josh Malone was a really effective vertical receiver mm-hmm. at University of Tennessee mm-hmm. coming out. So uh, they have some options. And then obviously Eifert with his size and mismatch, that's what's key for that is when you get in the red area, you get a big explosive athlete that can, in contested situations, he's still able to elevate and he makes those throwing windows bigger because of how big yes. he is. Yes. When that, that, Space is at a premium. The ability to kind of just high point a throw and put it up and let him take it off the top of the defender's helmet is really, really key. A uh, question here from Garrett Ballard, 34. Uh, what do y'all think of the Clemson D-line hype? I personally think they are all overrated except for Farrell. You, my friend, have come to the right place Good because take. we are very, very big fans of Cleveland Farrell and have some questions about the other guys on the Clemson defensive line. Uh, Dexter Lawrence obviously is the one that gets a ton of hype. The question is, you know, how much of his play last year was the the health issues that he says he was playing at approximately 50%. And I believe he wasn't hundred percent, but I still don't know what his upside is, uh, relative to what you would want from a top five pick in, yeah. in a, essentially a one technique defensive tackle. Yeah. So, uh, for me, I'm not really buying in on Lawrence as a top five prospect in the class regardless, just because I don't think positional value really lines up there unless you're expecting to be something he's not at Clemson. Right. Uh, Austin Bryant. I like Austin Bryant, but I don't think that's a first round player. No. I think that's a, a probably a round three, round four type player as he is right now. Obviously we still need to see how these players develop in this year. But uh, Austin Bryant has some nice athleticism. I thought the Virginia Tech game was a great showcase of his athleticism with how they utilized him in space. They put him out as a jam defender on the line of scrimmage on a couple short yardage situations, and he blew up some screen passes as a result. Uh, Christian Wilkins is the big one for me. I like Christian Wilkins' freshman tape a lot. Mm -hmm. Sophomore tape was a little more rocky. For me. So we're going to find out this year which is the real Christian Wilkins. Yeah, I think Wilkins has a legitimate chance to be a first round yeah. guy. But to your point on Lawrence, I mean, he's like 6'3, 340, and he just doesn't move that well. And so when we're talking about top of the first round defensive tackles, I need to be believe that you can get after the passer. And I don't see that right now from Lawrence. Yeah. Want to take a question? Here? Yeah, let's see. Bill Rossetti. Uh, what's up, guys? What's up, Bill? Uh, on the flip side of the Bills, what? We want to talk about someone else. Uh, what do you think about the Panthers rookies last night? So this is a game, obviously, I watched. Uh, DJ Moore played really good. You saw the the one play where he just created a ton of yards after the catch, hit some stuff down the field, and um, he's really competitive. I think you saw the Maryland version of DJ Moore in the NFL, which yeah. is what you, what you want to see, a guy yeah. that can win at all three levels of the field. It was interesting to me, though, it looks like he's in a battle with Jarris Wright uh, to be that uh, that number three receiver for Carolina. So DJ Moore was playing late into the fourth quarter, and so it looks like he's got an uphill battle to get uh, to get going there. But um, Dante Jackson, he was playing early in the game with the ones. The Bills picked the Panthers apart. I know that's really weird given yeah. the quarterbacks of McCarron, Peterman, and Allen, but Buffalo passed for over 300 yards and was very efficient with the football, and they went after every other defensive back not named James Bradbury and had a lot of success. So yeah. Uh, those uh, those secondary players need to get it going. 
Uh, I really like Moore's one showcase of the run after the catch ability mm-hmm. was really slippery. I mean, that that's exactly what you signed up for for him. Yep. So those kinds of reps, as I think where DJ Moore, especially early on, uh, is going to have the most success. Uh, what's on draft NFL? Mark Jarvis. What's up, Mark? Uh, is there any chance Patty Wagon is going to be the highest drafted linebacker out of the Big Ten? Yeah. Uh, Patty Fisher's a stud, dude. Uh, this is a redshirt sophomore coming into this year. He's a first-year starter last year. He's like 6'5", 240, 245. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Leighton Van Der Esch. I don't think he's as explosive as Van Der Esch, but just from an instinctual perspective, like he really gets it. He sees a lot of plays very, very well. His peripheral vision, ability to see routes as they're developing, entering into his zone in space coverage, he sees that out of the corner of his eye very well. So he doesn't get manipulated by things flashing across his face a whole lot. So that space discipline for a guy that's a good athlete, but he's not an explosive athlete. He's not that dynamic like Jared Davis type Mm -hmm. explosive athlete as a linebacker that would typically be targeted in the first round. Uh, But laterally, he sees gaps developing really, really good, and he shows a lot of really great pursuit skills closing into the line of scrimmage. He's not a catcher. He doesn't wait there three yards off the line of scrimmage and then allow the back to get into his body. Uh, but when those instances come where there's climbing offensive linemen off of double teams climbing onto the second level, he blows that stuff up. And I really, really like what Patty Fisher brings to the table altogether. Who's close? I know people like that Michigan backer, uh, Devin Bush. Uh, yeah, Devin Bush is 222 pounds. Oh, he's small. And he's like six foot. So okay. he's very tiny. I t- Second rated linebacker for me in the Big Ten is tough Portland out of Ohio Okay, State. we talked about him earlier yeah. this week. Yeah. Yep. So I don't think we have any questions right now, Joe. Uh, any other thoughts on the preseason so far? That's yeah, I mean, it sucks to see Darius Geis go down, right? I mean, uh, that's yeah. that's devastating. And um, yeah. uh, also Deion Kane. Deion Kane down, oh, went two, down with an ACL today guys. as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Geis, he had the nice highlight run, right? And he, I, Vintage. That was 2016, Geis, you yeah. know? And so to, to have some momentum going in, in a situation where I thought he could just take command of that, that running back rotation with Chris Thompson always hurt. So yeah. now the door's back open for the Rob Kelly, Samaj P. Ryan train to get going there in Washington. And I thought that was going to be really important for them to have some versatility in the backfield. Well, if Thompson and Geis aren't available, then uh, it's not going to be anything versatile at all. So, so do you read, do you read Harry Potter? Really? No. Did you expect that to be a yes? It's like Samaj P. Ryan's like a horcrux, right? Okay. So like at Oklahoma, Samaj P. Ryan, like, you thought you were going to get rid of him when Joe Mixon like emerged, but he just didn't disappear. And then he goes to Washington. Now Washington drafts Darius Geis, and it's like, okay, like this is finally the end of Samaj P. Ryan being a thing, <laughs> and he's back again. He just, you just can't get rid of the guy. And I told you on the phone before we got on the, the air today, if you can get him to squeeze the football and have some ball security, mm-hmm. like that's the kind of back that Washington likes. And you said that's not necessarily the kind of archetype that you want, Right, but that's what wash they want that like, short, physical, compact runner to run in between. It's tackles. like a Bengals linebacker, right? It's just, yeah, it's just, just a, a tight slow. Like, and God forbid they wanted to get a guy like Ruben Foster. Athleticism, like, yeah. what? Right, no. just how they do business. Uh, question from Bo Seif is 58, second one of the show. He's really digging, apparently. So we Thank must you. be doing something right. Thank you. Uh, do you think that there is any QBs in next year's draft that could push the Bengals over the edge, or do you think they should stick with Dalton and continue to build the offensive line? To stay in, stay in purgatory? Yeah. I mean, look, that, you're just going to win seven to ten games every year with Andy Dalton. 
And I, look, he is who he is. Andy Dalton's not going to get any different at this yeah. stage in his career. And I yeah. think he's he's probably an average NFL quarterback, and that's okay. Not everybody gets to have Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. But you just have to live with knowing that you're going to have to build a, a world-class roster around him if you're realistically going to make a run at things. So, um, you know, I, I'm not in love with any of the quarterbacks uh, next year. I know that you you like Lewerke from Michigan State and see if he can really emerge. And there's a lot of football left to be played that can really change the dynamics of this quarterback class discussion. But right now, I'm not overly high on it. So it, it is interesting. Maybe next year is not the year to really think about replacing Andy Dalton, but I think that you want to be in, if you don't want to be in quarterback purgatory for much longer, then you do have to make a move there. Yeah, I think you have some candidates in Justin Herbert and Brian Lewerke. Uh, those right now are kind of my two players that I could see developing into. Don't move away from the banner. Well, we just got come a on, David. David said, great to see Joe kiss the Dolphins banner. So if you're listening on this podcast, we have a, a Dolphins flag in the background. And Joe's talking into it on the screen, and it's showing up like right next to Joe's lips, and it's glorious. So uh, Justin Herbert and Brian Lewerke for me, I think those two guys illustrate uh, the most ideal traits Mm -hmm. to be a next-level starter and a high-level starter. Uh, So if you're Cincinnati, if things go off the rails this year, you guys win four football games, I think that's where you have to be in that consideration to, to make a move for a quarterback. Uh, the hard part is you're seeing more and more guaranteed money in these contracts to rookies. And that makes it a little harder to, if it doesn't work out like two or three years ago, you take a first round rookie quarterback is no big deal. You're on the hook for four years. Uh, you can get out of that contract because there's not yeah. a lot of guaranteed money. Yeah. Now the Saquon Barkley's a ton of guaranteed money. Didn't somebody get like totally guaranteed Saquon, con- Saquon yeah. got totally yeah. guaranteed rookie contract. So if you see that trend start going that way, you might see teams get less anxious to gamble early on quarterbacks that are kind of fringe in a shallow class. Uh, I did a, a poll uh, with a, the TDN staff this week, and I asked everybody who their QB1 was. I got five different answers. Did you really? I got what five. What were the five? Francois. Hmm. Who hmm. said Francois? Hmm. Uh, Lewerke. I got Locke. Lewerke, yeah. I don't know. Locke. I got Herbert. And I got Fitzgerald. <laughs> I think I knew who Fitzgerald was. I'm not. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but I think I knew who Fitzgerald was. Nick has interesting traits. I think he's a long ways off as a passer, mm-hmm. but obviously, first and foremost, we hope he's healthy, right? Like that was a really ugly injury last mm-hmm. year. But um, he's got interesting athleticism, and he's got a big arm, but he just sprays it all over the place. He's a little bit less. Uh, He's a bigger but less polished passer version of Lewerke. And I think John Ledger called him a worse version of Tim Tebow. Oh, wow. John. So, you know, John's strong with his take. So. John. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then we had a couple questions come through. Uh, Riley Allman. What's up, bud? What's up, dude? Wants to know, uh, what was up with Nick Chubb last night? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to point to the offensive line. Like, I, I posed that question on Twitter last night because I'm like, this is not the Nick Chubb that I watched for right. years and yeah. years dominate the SEC. And everyone's like, oh, it's a simple answer. It's the offensive line. Well, the offensive line didn't have anything to do with Nick Chubb looking like he had cement blocks underneath his feet. He just couldn't get moving. And so uh, it was kind of a disappointing performance. It doesn't it doesn't define Nick Chubb, right? So, like, it's just a, it's just a conversation point. He didn't have a strong debut. He looks slow. And uh, we'll have to monitor that. Maybe he's not right, but that wasn't the Nick Chubb that I watched for four years of Georgia. Mark Jarvis's second question of the show. Uh, he wants to know from you. Yeah. Seems like Easton Stick has a lot of fans as a potential riser into top three QB talk. 
What's the draft ceiling for Easton Stick? You know, I don't think Easton Stick is all that exciting. Uh, to, for him to get into the top three discussion, I think that's pretty rich. Um, he's got a, he needs a lot of work. Like, and I think he's got pretty modest physical traits. Like, he's got an okay arm. He can move around. Actually, he moves around really well. He can extend plays, and, and he does really well on design runs. But like, he's not very accurate. He doesn't see the field well. He just misses underneath defenders all the time. And, and he just doesn't have any consistency, like working his progressions, throwing with anticipation. Like he's just, he's, he's really kind of under the spotlight because he's the successor to Carson Wentz. And so everybody's like, oh, is he the next Carson Wentz from North Dakota State? Right. But I, I just don't think there's a hot, very high ceiling with Stick. And he's not a guy that I look at and think, well, this is a guy that's going to really enter the discussion for you know a top three quarterback in the class. Uh, we do have a question from Josh Pote, one, uh, asking about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown this year. Uh, I wanted to take a moment and talk about Le'Veon and kind of where he's at, right? Because this feels like there's no way he's coming back from this and staying with the Steelers long-term. It just seems like Pittsburgh philosophically mm-hmm. is just so far away from what Le'Veon's interested in as far as compensation that it's not going to happen. So uh, obviously Le'Veon's extremely motivated to go out and put another strong season together and maximize his value when he finally gets out on the, on the uh, open market. Any team stand out to you where you think he could end up? Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay would make sense. I think the Jets make sense too. Yeah, we don't need that. No, we don't. We can't afford that as uh, AFC East um, fans. But uh, that that was the first thing that came to my mind was the Jets. Yeah, their running back situation right now is what like Elijah McGuire and Isaiah Crowell. It'd be nice to Elijah McGuire. Yeah, well, he you know you get a chance to get Le'Veon Bell, you probably want to yeah, do that. Yeah, so. I think that's probably a good idea. Uh, Kyle Hedspeth, yes, would like to know if we've seen the QB from Buffalo, uh, Tyree Jackson, big kid. 6'7", 245. Um, he can move, too. It, um, one of the things that was apparent to me watching him was mechanically he's got a long ways to go, but when he's able to set up clean and then he's flushed off of that and he's forced to throw on the move, there's very few throws that he can't challenge. The accuracy is the question. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't want to say he's Logan Thomas because he's better passer than Logan Thomas. Tight but, end Logan Thomas. Yeah, tight end Logan Thomas. But uh, looking at the physical gifts that he has, like Logan Thomas stuck around in the NFL for a little bit because he's a very good athlete for his size. Uh, I think Jackson's that same caliber of an athlete. Uh, you see him running some some power concepts up in between the tackles as a runner as well. Uh, big time arm. They got Anthony Johnson at wide receiver there at Buffalo. He's a would like to see him get a little bit more developed as a route runner, but he's a volume receiver and shows really good body control and really good ball skills. So uh, that's going to be a pretty potent uh, QB wide receiver combination this year. And uh, one of the big questions with Jackson is he hasn't started a full year of of college football yet. He has not been a full-time start. So Jackson, take the reins, bud. Let's see what you got. We want to hand the team over to you for a full 12 game season and see what he's able to do. That's going to be a big test for him. Uh, what was that one question there from Matthew? One, two, three. What team made the playoff? What team that made the playoffs do you think will miss oh, it this year? That's a good question. Uh, so let's take some inventory here. No, the Patriots. Bill? Yeah, they're, they're going to make it. They're they're making it. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, Buffalo's probably out. Right out. Yeah. I don't think they're winning more than four football games this year. Oh, not according to your rant yeah, earlier this not, week. Not great. All right, so Steelers. They're back. They're back. Jaguars. They're back. They're back. Kansas City. No. You don't think Kansas City makes it? You think it's because of Mahomes? 
Yeah, I think I think that there's a lot of Too turnover. Many changes. Yeah, and I'm worried about the secondary. Yeah, you know, they, lost, playing they lost corner? Peters. Who else did they lose? Uh, well, they. I'm not sure they lost anyone else, but I think Peters is a, is a huge loss. They added the a Kendall Fuller. But this. what uh, are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, I think that the Chargers are going to win that division, so they're going to have to get a wild card spot. And so what this comes down to is I think that you have three potential playoff teams in the AFC South and the Jaguars, Titans, and Texans. Oh, they did bring in Kendall Fuller. Yeah, he, and he's a good, he's a quality player. But yeah. I mean, the rest of this group, David Amerson, Steve Nelson, I mean, it's kind of underwhelming. Uh, Sorensen's actually injured, so I'm not sure who's playing safety there. Um, so I think that Buffalo and Kansas City are both out in the AFC. So we're going to get... And that's pretty par for the course. Yeah, right? there's I mean, turnover see, every year. You see yeah. two or three teams from each conference every year. Uh, do we do NFC real quick? Yeah, let's get through it. Eagles, they're back. They're back. Minnesota, back. they're back. Uh, pretty much the entire NFC South. Except for the Bucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Carolina. I think Carolina's out. Nervous about Carolina. I, I really apprehensive. The offensive Carolina line and the secondary are major question marks. Yeah. They have been for years, and they continue to not do anything to, Ram, to prove it. Rams will be back. Rams are back. Packers are Green Bay is back in. Yeah. So I think that they take Carolina's spot, but I think Atlanta and New Orleans are both in. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll see some turnover. Uh, Carter, good friend of the Draft Network. Carter wants to know which first-year starting quarterback has the best and worst season. Who's playing, Right. Right. So I that's, mean, that's a big key, obviously, is yeah. who's going to take over a starting role and who's not. And this technically, this question doesn't even have to be rookies. First year starting. Oh. So I don't know if there's anybody that comes to mind for you. I think if Josh Rosen gets in the field, I think he's going to have an excellent season because I thought he had the most translatable tape out of any of the rookie seat or rookie players. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I look at Josh Allen, this is not dogging on you. The personnel there is a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about the long-term viability of that team to create separation on the outside. You saw it with Carson Wentz when he started as a rookie with the Philadelphia Eagles. They did not have boundary skill players. So that issue becomes, do you have players that can allow your quarterback to be confident in making the right decision to throw the football? Sure. Because if he sees a tight throw and he's coached on ball security, he's either going to eat that ball and take a sack or he's going to make those throws, but that confidence in those mechanics isn't going to be there. They're going to get more variance in his accuracy. If I had to make a case for the positive there, you've got an offensive line that every one of them started for multiple years, except for Deion Dawkins, who's a one-year starter and arguably the best one. LaShawn McCoy is a top-five running back. Charles Clay is an above-average. Yeah, LaShawn McCoy is a top-five running back. Don't look at rushing yards. Just look A top-ten running back. Top-ten okay. is fine. Okay, he's in fine. the top third of the league. He's, okay. They have an, at least an average tight end in Charles Clay. And, yeah, the receiving core is very concerning. You make good points with that. If Calvin Benjamin can be the Calvin Benjamin of a couple years ago, if Corey Coleman – I know there's a lot of ifs. If Corey Coleman can get it to going, if Zay Jones can get it going, if a guy like Rod Street or Amalekai Dupree can emerge, yeah, it's underwhelming, and I, I certainly get that, but it, it is cause for concern. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Patrick Mahomes is the answer, though, right? He's the guy – he's the first-year starting quarterback that's uh, going to have the best year. Yeah, that's that's yeah, what I think, Carter, on that. So. Uh, good call. Uh Josh Pote did want to know who the wide receiver was that I was talking about. His name is Anthony Johnson, wide receiver from Buffalo. Uh, Joe, we want to wrap this up here. I got one more thing I need to attend to. Okay, well, why don't you start attending to that? Okay, so I was a part of a fan poll on uh, Twitter for Miami Dolphins fans. They were voting for their uh, elected quarterback of the Dolphins fan Twitter team. 
And I was put into a poll that featured the actual starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill. And your boy beat Ryan Tannehill in this fan poll. And I told Dolphins fans, if they successfully voted me as the winning representative for this poll, then I was going to be drinking a very large pour of Jim Beam. Jim, hit us up. We would love to develop a sponsorship for you and the Draft Dudes podcast. Let's make this happen. So I have my glass. I have my Jim. We're going to celebrate the fact that Kyle defeated Ryan Tannehill in a fan vote on who should be the quarterback of Dolphins Twitter. And they chose me. And for that, I thank you. I'm going to pour a very aggressive pour here. And I mean very aggressive. That, that's like four fingers. That's four fingers? Yeah, it's a four finger pour. Okay. Is it? Wait, but is this sweet tea or apple juice kind? This is not sweet tea or apple juice. Let me check that. Let me yeah, check. you want to taste it? No. Want to dip your finger in there? Uh, yeah, that's, that's Jim Bean. Okay. So, folks, here is to Dolphins fans electing me to be your representative. Carter, of course I'm going to do it on the screen, dude. To be your represented quarterback of Dolphins Twitter, thank you so much. We're going to celebrate here, right here on live on draft. Don't throw up. Jesus, man. Mahalo. (laughs) 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 We got a lot of hearts for that, though. Yeah, that was... um... Okay. Your eyes are red. Yeah. Your, your eyes are and that red. That was a little more aggressive than the last one I took. So uh, we'd like to thank you guys for tuning into the Draft Dudes podcast. Why don't you excuse yourself before you get me in trouble on the sign-off here. Thank you for watching Draft Dudes Live on Instagram. I am Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino. Uh, we're on Instagram. If you missed the live show at uh, the Draft Network is the handle of the Instagram account. Joe's on Twitter at the Joe Marino. I'm on Twitter at grinding the tape. You can come on back in now. You're good. Uh, We had a blast doing this. We have Joe up here all weekend. So maybe we'll do something again a little later in the week. And um, we hope you guys enjoyed this as well. Uh, We plan to do this with some regularity, even when you're not here, you know, we can do the split screen and uh, that's something that we're going to plan on doing. Uh, M. Liddy Robert would like to know what was in that twisted tea. No, that was not that twisted was, tea. That was whiskey. I could have handled twisted tea just fine. That was not twisted tea. Um, so, again, thank you for tuning in to Draft Dudes Live. We will be back again on Monday with a new show concept. Thanks for watching Draft Dudes, folks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.